0: Welcome into episode 35 of the Ebony Bird Podcast, brought to you by Fansided and EbonyBird.com. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can find me on Twitter at jmacdonald 95 We have a lot to get into today, uh, but first, I want to remind everybody to download the Ebony Bird app from the App Store. Our two site experts, Chris Schistler at Footballman58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller NFL, will be joining me in a second here, but. They've been all over the scene here. Chris, two recent articles, three Ravens who could become superstars in 2018, and how the Ravens are opening a new window of success for the season. And then Joe with one, uh, three possible free agents guys still out on the market for the Ravens to consider, that one by Joe. And, of course, we're going to be breaking down those two articles later in the show. And then I had one up as well over the weekend, um, taking a look at the drafted rookies included in the the 12 draftees in the Ravens class and breaking down how much playing time I think those guys are going to get um, all that on the Ebony Bird website, um, which you can also check out on the Ebony Bird app, of course, all that available on your mobile device. So the podcast coming to you, as always, through iTunes and Spreaker. As always, we're going to get into the two articles, like I mentioned, and we're going to break down Raven's minicamp, and then we'll you know, end the show by mentioning the Caps, of course. We would be remiss if we didn't mention the Caps with their Stanley Cup victory at the end of the Ebony Bird Podcast. So, fellas, real quick, uh, before we get started, the Ravens opening up minicamp this week. The second out of three practices wrapping up today. Of course, we heard from some of the coordinators after practice, some of the new position coaches, and Eric Weddle. We'll hear from Terrell Suggs and some other players in Harbaugh tomorrow before the Ravens break for a few weeks for a little bit of that dead period before training camp officially begins. But before we break into it, how are we all feeling? No significant injuries to report, so I know that's certainly good news. We saw Jimmy Smith and. Um, Albert McClellan returned to the practice field today, which I think was a great sign. Uh, considering Jimmy Smith tore his Achilles, you know, basically over halfway through the season last year. I guess with that being said, that's certainly a good thing. I don't, you know, he was certainly limited to individual work today, but. Anytime you have Jimmy Smith, uh, your perennial cornerback, who is, of course, a heavy cap hit but is known to be one of the best corners in the NFL when healthy, having him back is certainly a good sign, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, it's a good sign. I'm actually wondering why he even needs to be on the field. I started to think, you know, many camps with an injury-prone player. Maybe just say, you know, take your time. It's cool to have you back, but take your time is what I'm thinking. But, you know, it's great to have him back. It shows the progress that he's made. And when Jimmy Smith and Marlon Humphrey are on the field together, look out. So that should be fun. I'm excited about just getting back to football. You know, there's a lot to talk about today. Yeah, it's great to see Jimmy Smith back on the field. I think that was a big surprise to a lot of us and a
2: lot of reporters who were there at minicamp, considering it's been just a little over six months he, since he tore his Achilles. And I don't think it's ever been a question of talent with Jimmy Smith. I mean, when on the field he's one of the most talented cornerbacks in the NFL. He doesn't get the rap for it because he's – his health's been such a problem he's only played two full 16 game regular seasons and seven seasons in his career but I mean last year he was playing at an all-pro level and if he would have stayed healthy past the Detroit game I mean he definitely would have earned first or second team all-pro honors I think there's no doubt about that but I mean it's great to see him back hopefully he can progress more as training camp goes and then who knows what his health's going to be like once the season comes week one I mean I think that's why the Ravens picked up Brandon Carr's team option for sure but it's great to see him making this kind of progress. My only worry is, God forbid, something like a Julian Edelman situation happens where he progresses so quickly, not saying that could ever be a possibility. But, I mean, that's that four-game suspension he got hit with right as he towards Achilles was a problem. And let's hope that's not a problem going forward.
0: Yeah, he's never been elected to a Pro Bowl in his career, has he? No, he hasn't, which is pretty surprising. But that's with health. I mean,
2: he's had like some great seasons, but you never can put him in that top tier until you really see him stay consistent with health. And that's been his biggest problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a guy that's been deserving of a Pro Bowl considering his play on the field, but just hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently. And like Zach Britton, I know that's a different sport, but really a quick recovery from a torn Achilles. And Britain getting back on the field now for the Orioles on the baseball side of things. Hopefully the Ravens are hoping for a similar result with Jimmy Smith in training camp and at the beginning of the regular season. Some other tidbits real quick. Alex Lewis missing practice time with back spasms. I know that's a minor thing and not a long-term issue, but... He's been a guy who has looked promising. First rookie season, he didn't play last year, but he's had problems staying on the field. Brashad Perryman is reportedly struggling with drops again. I saw a tweet from Jamison Hensley of ESPN uh, referencing him having the problems with the drops again. That's certainly not going to help his case for a roster spot. Uh, I know Chris wanted to talk about Lamar Jackson being used at multiple positions with Flacco clearly being the starter, but using Jackson at both quarterback and receiver. Like I, I know we've had discussions in the past, and I thought thought that was going to be something the Ravens might be looking into and then a number of guys missing practice like Maurice Kennedy, Marshall Yanda, uh, no Anthony Levine of course with uh, Harbaugh revealing he had surgery last week. John Brown apparently tweaked his knee in practice yesterday. He's been another guy that's had injury problems, um, but he didn't practice today, but he was on the field during practice, um, even though he wasn't running around that much, and he did work with Flacco uh, running some routes, not at full speed, uh, but some individual work after practice, kind of like how you know Jimmy Smith was doing individual work today. The last day, of course, um, is going to be tomorrow before they break for a few weeks, and of course that's the time where we hope nothing bad happens, and, you know, like nobody gets arrested or anything bad happens over that five- to six-week dead period before training camp begins. But yeah, anything we wanted to take away on minicamp before we uh, move on?
2: Just the fact that there have been no major injuries from what's been indicated. I know Alex Lewis had a little bit of some back spasms that he missed with. That only concerns me a little bit because they kind of played off the shoulder injury at the beginning of the offseason, and that really turned into something more serious where he had to get season-ending surgery. But, I mean, Harbaugh indicated that it shouldn't affect his playing time for training camp, so that's not a big deal. But, I mean, the big thing is the Ravens are getting through these practices and mini-camps without any big injuries, and around the league that's happening. I mean, it's every year you see players go down with season-ending injuries, whether it's ACLs or other big things, so that's good to see them healthy so far because last year, I mean, every week it seemed like someone was going down with some kind of injury and it completely decimated this team. So to see guys like we talked about before, Jimmy Smith coming back so quickly, and then Marshall Yonda coming back eventually, I mean, it's great to see this team fully healthy. And I know a lot of talk has been surrounded by Joe Flacco and just the fact that he's fully healthy for this offseason, I think is going to make a huge difference. I mean, to have that chemistry with the players and just to be fully healthy and for him to get back into his rhythm in the offseason. I mean, we talk about how maybe the first couple of weeks of last season were him kind of getting into his groove because he really did have limited time. I mean, he started practicing a week before the week one game against the Bengals in 2017. So to be able to have a full offseason practice to work with his new receiving core and for him just to get into his own rhythm, I think it's going to be huge. And I know Eric Weddle and a couple other guys have talked about how bring in Lamar Jackson, how bring in Robert Griffin, that's maybe a little fire under him. And with all this pressure and with all the things we've been talking about, with Flacco nearing towards the end of his contract, maybe his time in Baltimore, that we could maybe see one of the best seasons we've seen from him. I mean, who knows? but he definitely has a lot more motivation with some real competition under center for him.
1: I was pretty sure the Ravens weren't going to get through minicamp without experimenting with Lamar Jackson and Flacco being on the field at the same time. I think it's one of those things that's just too tempting not to play out. I wonder how serious they are about it. Obviously, you do it in minicamp and put it on the shelf. It's not a big a deal. If you do it in minicamp and say, hey, this is what we're working with going forward, then it could be interesting. I, I wonder to see how committed they are in that. I wonder if we'll see any of that in the preseason or training camp or if this is like the bag of tricks they're saving for, say, a Steelers game down the line. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson having a great mini camp so far. Drawing rave reviews, Eric Weddle said that he's the most talented person uh, he's seen come into this league and as talented. He said today that, you know, Joe Flack has definitely been pushed from Jackson and from rg3 i don't know if rg3 really pushes anybody but you know Weddle's nice so that's interesting you know it's all about the quarterbacks when you're not hitting when you're not hitting it's hard to be about anything else but the quarterbacks
2: the problem is i feel like with the national media i was at the gym today and
1: the first take was on
2: and of course they're talking about the lamar jackson situation with the two quarterbacks because all throughout the pre-draft process Jackson was talked about how teams wanted to try to move him to wide receiver and it's a big deal and a lot of race was being played into it. I feel like, I think Ryan Micker, Garrett Downing pointed this out on Twitter that, I mean, he's still a quarterback for now. I mean, the Ravens haven't indicated anything further. I mean, they're trying out some different packages, but this could be a complete smokescreen or just them just talking the talk. I feel like the national media just takes this on the surface and tries to create into a bigger problem than it needs to be, which almost creates kind of like a media circus because we haven't even seen Lamar Jackson, like, line up at any of these positions. It's been just old talk. But just during a dry offseason, like, any little thing surrounding something like him playing at a different position or something that they're experimenting it's going to get made into a bigger deal than it needs to be, which is just frustrating from, like, the local media standpoint because I feel like we have a better grasp on it than they do.
1: Oh, I agree, Joe, and that's one of the reasons I didn't even want them to do it. I was like, the second you do that, the second you take focus off, and I wonder how much it pulls Jackson's focus away from getting the job done at the quarterback position, and that's what I want to focus on.
2: Right, and nothing against Jamison Hensley, because he's obviously the D S ESPN reporter, but, I mean, of course, like Sports SportsCenter, like First Taker, one of those shows that's trying to stir up debate is going to talk about it on a national level to really try to stir up some more talk.
0: The last time we recorded the podcast two weeks ago, that was before uh, the Ravens' last two OTA practices were canceled due to a apparent issue in their pass coverage. With the, I think the rookies were the culprit as a result of that. Uh, but their last two practices getting canceled. But I... I recorded my other podcast last night, and I want to just ask you guys, I had a little of a theory about the Ravens. I mean, they, they're playing five preseason games, of course, and they're going to be starting training camp just a tad earlier than they normally would be. Do you think maybe they were pushing the envelope a little bit on purpose, even if they didn't know that what they were doing was wrong? Do you think maybe Harbaugh was maybe a little pushing the envelope, possibly knowing that he was going to have an early start to training camp? Like losing two practices really isn't that big of a deal, I wouldn't imagine.
2: No, I mean, it's not. But it's the only thing with me is that this isn't the first time something's happened under Harbaugh. I mean, they lost, they forfeited two OTAs in 2010, for having players on the field too long. And then obviously it was at 2016 where they, were fined and I think lost a couple of practices because players were in full pads. I mean, he definitely I think like the Ravens definitely know what they're doing. Obviously this isn't such a big deal because it's, you know, just a little bit of contact in the in the secondary with some players. Obviously some rookies still are getting adjusted to kind of how practices are in the NFL and how strict the collection bargaining agreement can be with these things. But I mean this is a veteran organization. This is a front office that gets so much credit for being like a class act and Everything. So I feel like they, I mean, they definitely know what they're doing. I mean, it really doesn't make a difference losing two OTAs. I mean, it doesn't look great uh, from a national standpoint, but I mean, I feel like they definitely, I mean, this was definitely something that wasn't like done on purpose, but they knew what they were doing in the process.
1: Yeah, it really is annoying. It's really not bad losing two OTA practices. I keep saying, you know, these OTAs and mini camps, I, I start to wonder if you're just giving them more chances to get hurt in, in meaningless action. Yeah. But So it's not a bad thing, but it is really annoying, especially like Joe said. This is the third time Harbaugh's got caught. Only Pete Carroll has had more infractions with this stuff than any other coach. Harbaugh and Belichick tied. You never want to be in the company with Belichick unless you're talking about ranks. But, yeah, it's annoying. I go back to losing... Kind of Dixon and Dennis Pitta last year in OTA and say, you know what would make OTAs better? We're a passion contact. That certainly would make it better. It's annoying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely more annoying anything than having the Ravens brought up as, you know, breaking the rules, quote unquote. But uh certainly not a you know big deal losing just two OTA practices. Again, this is the Ebony Bird Podcast coming to you through iTunes and Spreaker, courtesy of Fans Cited. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can find me on Twitter at McDonald 95 being joined by our two side experts chris schistler at footballman58 and joe schiller at joe schiller nfl these two fellas had two recent articles which you can find on ebonybird.com and the ebonybird app uh, chris wrote one we're going to dissect first three potential superstars he had uh the three guys hayden hurst marlon humphrey and matt judon uh so chris just a little bit of explanation on why you chose those three guys over, you know, the the rookie tight end, along with Hurst, like Mark Andrews, any of the rookie receivers like Jaleel Scott or uh, Jordan Lasley, Anthony Averett, Deshaun Elliott, guys like uh, Lamar Jackson, who, even though he might not be the starting quarterback right away, uh, could really well be of the playmaker of the Ravens' need of the future here.
1: Well, here's the deal. With Hayden Hurst, it's all about opportunity. I think Hurst is going to get the biggest chance to the passing game. I think he's going to be the main tight end in the passing game. His versatility allows him to stay on the field in just about any formation. Where Andrews, he just can't play a traditional tight end, but he works mostly from the slot. He's more of an Evan Ingram kind of a tight end. So we put him in that category. Uh, Hurst stays on the field all the time. Pitta, coming back from two hip injuries, had, what, 86 receptions? Hayden Hurst is going to be the most heavily targeted player in this offense, in my opinion. Um, So that's an opportunity, and I think he's got the skill set. 6'5", big target. I think him and Andrews are both going to be good, but I think his versatility gives him the nod. I think Andrews could be a big-time playmaker, but I think Hurst is going to be the guy the Ravens go to the most. He's going to be on the field the most. With Matt Dudon, it's the fact that he had four sacks his rookie year coming out of Grand Valley State, then eight sacks, Now you're looking at, you had four sacks, you're in the 12-sack range. I don't know if his production continues to raise at that level, but my goodness, he's a gigantuan pass rusher who can do it with power, do it with speed. He's good against the run. I think he's the next Terrell Suggs, the next of the line of great Ravens outside linebackers when you look at Peter Boulware, Jamie Sharper, Terrell Suggs, Derek Johnson. I think he's the next of that line. And I think he's just going to be a cornerstone of the franchise moving forward. And Marlon Humphrey, you just look at Humphrey, and he's just unbelievable, especially if Jimmy Smith misses time or gets hurt again and misses time. Uh, he can go toe-to-toe with anybody. And when you can shut down the best receivers in the NFL, you're a superstar. Yeah,
2: I mean, I agree with that list, definitely. The one thing I would have is – I question how much production Hayden Hurst will have in his rookie season. I feel like the NFL trend is a lot of tight ends definitely struggle to produce in their first year. But obviously he's going to have a ton of opportunity, like you said. So it's going to be interesting to see how he gets integrated into the offense. Judon is just a monster. I mean, he is so good. He's very underrated, even in the past, in pass garbage. I was watching some film on him against the Raiders and the Dolphins. I mean, you can line him up on a couple bubble screens. I mean, he just runs through blockers. He can has great open field tackling skills. He's just an all-kind-of-pass rusher, Some of one of the small school products that Ozzie Newsom found in the draft that he's been so talented at doing. Um, and Marlon Humphrey, of course, I mean, he really came on with Jimmy Smith getting injured. And doubled Brandon Carr and really became the number one corner. I mean, he's the future. That's why Aussie Newsom drafted him with the per- in the first round last year. And he's another Alabama guy. That's just a stout player. I mean, he's just so good on the outside, and he's been getting better with every week. And he continues to improve. So I think if I added another guy in there, maybe look at maybe Zadarius Smith or Tyce Bowser. Right? Smith is on the last year of his rookie contract. Whether he stays with the Ravens or not, this is almost an audition for him. And Tyus Bowser going into that second year didn't get a lot of time because of Suggs and Judon up front. But, I mean, that second year making that huge leap, another guy like Judon is just extremely athletic and put him really around the all around the field as an outside linebacker. So I'm really intrigued to see what him and also Tim Williams can do in the pass rush department. Because I know Chris mentioned this in one of his articles before, but the Ravens have a ton of young talent in that outside linebacker position, so I'm really intrigued to see what they can do.
0: Yeah, I love Matt Judon's personality. I'm really excited to see uh, what he's going to be able to do this year. Um, And then moving on to Joe's article three free agents for the Ravens to consider Uh, you had tight end Julius Thomas and then you had linebacker Navarro Bowman formerly of the 49ers and then running back DeMarco Murray Uh, the Ravens you know maybe looking for another veteran running back who can help in the passing game with Alex Collins being the quote-unquote starter the the guy going that's uh, up through the the offensive line and more up down runner so I guess uh, by this list Joe uh, you're off the Dez Bryant bandwagon then I guess
2: no, definitely not. I just wanted to add something indifferent different because I know a couple of people have written about that and talked about that. I just wanted to present a couple options. I was really going to get into that, but I still think Des Bryant is a reasonable option. I mean, he, the Ravens are the only team that have given him a, a real offer that he's turned down. I mean, he's expressed interest in other teams, but there hasn't been a mutual feeling from both sides. So, I mean, I'd love to see Des Bryant in the Ravens' offense. I mean, of course, that pushes some of the younger receivers down the totem pole, but the Ravens still have a win-now mentality, and if you're doing that, you're going to get a receiver like Dez Bryant who can help you win. I mean, he's a huge target, talented receiver. Put him with a guy like Joe Flacco and pair him with a receiver like Michael Crabtree. both have similar traits, of course, but, I mean, that just gives you another red zone target, another big-body guy that works well. Flacco, you know, we saw he had all that production and great chemistry with Anquan Bolden over the years. So, no, I definitely see Brian as a guy, like I said before, with the tight end position, having a guy, you know, Ben Watson was just a good veteran mentor to have. And Julius Thomas, you know, he struggled with some injuries. But to have a guy who can mentor two young tight ends, and there's no guarantee that Max Williams or Nick Boyle will make the roster. I think one of them does, but, I mean, they're in their third year now. I mean, the production hasn't been what the Ravens have expected. And with DeMarco Murray, the Ravens just love having a better running back, whether it's been Justin Forsett over the years. Just having someone else in there, that's kind of a pass-catching option because I really think Collins is more of a north-south runner, and that's really where strength is. To have a check-down option like Murray, who can actually take those two- to three-yard passes and make them into bigger plays, it's just another advantage to have. But I know they're getting Kenneth Dixon back – but he's still a question mark with whether he can stay healthy and just on the field due to suspension. So then I added Bowman in there because the, I mean, CJ Mosley is obviously going to play his contract situation is still up in the air, but he is still relatively unproven after 13 games last year. And obviously Kenny Young and Bam Bradley haven't played it down in the regular season. So I mean, they still have a lot to figure out that counterpart position, and I highlighted that they worked with Daryl Smith. and they worked with Daryl Smith for three years, and he played all 16 games throughout that time. I'm not saying Navarro and Bowman is the same player he used to be before he got hurt, but the Ravens have used that formula before him. inside linebacker, and it's worked well. It's just another one of those cases of getting in guys who can win now when you still feel like you have that window with Joe Flacco and a defense with other guys like Eric Weddle and Terrell Suggs.
1: Yeah, I love Navarro Bowman. I love Navarro Bowman. If there's a guy on your list that I'm like yes one, it's him. I would stay away from DeMarco Murray. Um, I just don't think you need a running back at this point. I think you got three good ones. You have too many cooks in the kitchen, it could be a problem. And I don't want to squash any opportunity that Kenneth Dixon has. If Kenneth Dixon ends up not being this superstar or this dynamic put him in on third down kind of guy, that's fine. But I want to give him the chance to be the Robin to Alex Collins Batman, and maybe Buck Allen could be Nightwing. Let's go for it. I really want to stick with what we have at running back, but I agree with your list, and I really love Navarro Bowman. That would be an absolutely perfect option for the Ravens, especially because he, you talk about play like a Raven. I mean, he does.
0: Yeah, you guys don't want to bring Jeremy Macklin back then? No. Yeah.
2: It's interesting to see a lot of those guys that the Ravens did let go, like Macklin and like Terrence West. And those guys still haven't been picked up. So, I mean, I'm glad they got rid of them when they did. I think it was the right time, and it was the right time for them to kind of revamp this receiving core. But, I mean, really, Macklin's had no interest whatsoever from other teams. I mean, we've seen Terrence West, I think, visit the Saints the other day. But you've heard really nothing about Macklin whatsoever.
0: Yeah, and I looked at the list of free agents, to see if there was anybody the Ravens would even consider, and I think Alfred Morris is still out there for looking at running backs again, but he's more of an inside-the-tackles type guy, and the Ravens already have that in Alex Collins, um, so I don't think that he would really be a good fit. I was just going to say,
2: if they target a running back, I want it to be kind of a guy outside the tackles because I really don't want it to take away from Alex Collins. I mean, I think he still has a ton of potential to be o- over a 1,000-yard rusher, and I think if Murray gets comes in, he's the kind of guy that, I think we'll take away from that. So that's just my point
0: on that. To wrap up the Ebony Bird podcast, the 35th episode here on Fansided, uh we wanted to end with just a little bit of uh, discussion on the Washington Capitals. Of course, their Game 5 win for... Four to three, final over the Vegas Golden Knights to win the first ever Stanley Cup in franchise history, and it's really been great. And of course, Baltimore not having an NHL team, of course, the Caps being the closest thing that Baltimore has, it's really been cool to see the city kind of rally around uh, Washington and uh, be right up there with DC and Vegas in the TV ratings and whatnot. And to see like Alex Ovechkin, a guy that's you know been in the NHL for so long and has repeatedly gotten in the playoffs and not gotten the stanley cup comes so close but only so far to finally get that monkey off his back and to see he's still partying like i'm pretty sure his bender is still continuing even to the second seeing him at the nationals game hold, holding up the stanley cup the the keg stand and doing that on the tonight show with jimmy fallon and mike smith who of course won the triple crown this weekend with justify and him in the at the parade yesterday like It's really been cool, and it's really gotten me more into hockey than I was before, to be honest with you. But uh, with all this being said, I I wanted to to beg the question to you guys. Do you believe that with this happening, because the Caps are the closest market for an NHL team in Baltimore... Do you think that this, you know, following this momentum is going to stick and their fan base is going to grow? I, I, I ordered a, a, you know, a Stanley Cup champions T-shirt already. I, I'll freely admit I'm way more into hockey than I was uh, before this this happened, but I, I have been watching for a while. I. I I said this on my other show that my uh, roommate is a you know a Flyers fan from from college, and he would you know have the the playoffs on all the time. I was watching the entire postseason, uh, but you know I wasn't obviously following along as much in the regular season. But I honestly think that the Caps will have a much larger fan base next next season.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the Stanley Cup is like no other. Liz- you can pretty much just take the cup around and do whatever you want with it. I mean, it's crazy. Just the fact that it's just made to hold, like, beers. I think I was looking up, they can hold, like, over 23 beers in it. I mean, that's just so awesome. And for the fact that they were just in the – like, in D.C., like, walking around, like, being idiots in the fountain and doing everything. I mean, Alex Ovechkin deserves this so much more than anyone else. I mean, my dad's been such a huge Caps fan. He has, like, a partial Caps season ticket package. I've been to a couple games. And the support for that team is incredible. I mean, every game they have – it's Almost a sold out crowd every time. And I'm not one of those people that, well, I know some Baltimore fans that say, oh, I'll never root for DC no matter what. I mean, it's just so different. I mean, Baltimore doesn't have a hockey team. They've had a couple of AHL teams over the years that never really worked out. They failed to get a bid for a professional team. So, I mean, the Caps are the closest thing you have to that. And, I mean, it's such a fun sport to watch. I mean, you could just see all the support for the Caps outside the. Capital One Arena, I mean, they're selling out the arena even when they're away in Vegas. And there's, you know, thousands of fans outside just watching it on a big screen. And they had over 100,000 fans at the um, National Mall yesterday watching them. I mean, it's just been so great. I don't know how you can't love it, even if you're from Baltimore. I mean, for me, I mean, I ordered a a shirt as well. I mean, I was down at Tyson's Corn the other day in Northern Virginia, and there's just so many people around. Even the surrounding areas in the DMV are just huge supporters of the cast. And I think they're just going to have a bigger fan base I put Ovi as almost like the Ray Lewis for the Capitals. I mean, he's just been with the organization for so long. He never left. He's stuck with them. And, I mean, I think that's why, whether you're a Capitals fan or not, I mean, you're just so happy to see him get that trophy because he's been searching for it for so long. And it couldn't happen to a better person. And it's been such a great celebration. It's been an all-time celebration. Like you said, I don't think they're even done. I mean, they're chucking beers and doing whatever the hell they want. So, good for them.
0: They deserve it.
1: Oh, God, I have to be the bad guy here. I, I don't root for D.C.-based teams. to the Baltimore guys. I know. Shocker.
0: I know there are a segment of people out there that, that have that mindset. I know that you guys exist. Well, okay, well, here's the deal. And I'll make it brief because
1: I don't want to be a Debbie Downer.
0: I'm not fond of the Redskins or the Nationals. I just wanted to throw that out there, but I don't...
1: Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but the Redskins tried for about 20 years to prevent a football team from coming to Baltimore. They took our basketball team, said, you're not good enough for us, but we still want your money. And now they want us to root for the hockey team. And the Nationals came, and, okay, good, you have baseball. At the grocery store, there's two rows of Nationals peanuts and one row of Orioles peanuts. Yeah, I notice. I know we suck, but come on, it's Baltimore area. Yeah, I don't root for D.C. based teams. I will say I'm happy for a vet skin. I'm a big Dallas Mavericks fan. And when my guy, Dirk Kavinsky finally won after sticking with the Mavericks forever, it it was a surreal moment, and it was really rewarding to see him get it done. So I'm happy for Ovechkin, one of the greatest of the sport, and I'm happy for the people who are Capitals fans. I don't particularly partake in the joy. I kind of am ambivalent to it, one way or the other. To be honest with you, I always say I'm going to get into hockey, and then I end up watching basketball instead this time of year. So maybe I'll get into hockey. It's just I, I go football, NFL draft, NBA playoffs, and then you know baseball when the Orioles are unwatchable. And
0: uh, <laughs> that's putting it lightly.
1: That's kind of yeah. oh they're just so freaking frustrating. I could stand in front of home plate, and Chris Davis would not hit me. <laughs> That's a story for a different day. We could do a whole podcast. Oh, I know. It's, it's not worth it. Oh, but,
2: it's, I mean, I'll tell you what. Going to a hockey game, I've been to a handful. It's probably my favorite sport to watch live, and I'm diehard Ravens. Like, NFL is, like, my favorite thing to watch. But in person, there's nothing like a hockey game. I think you really can't knock it until you've been to a game. But just the pace of the play and just there are no breaks until the intermissions, just the hitting and stuff, I mean, it's great. I think anyone who really loves football would enjoy going to a hockey game.
1: I'm not knocking hockey. It's just I never really got into it that much. You got go. All right. Fair. Football. I might go to a Philadelphia game just to be a little poophead. So I'll root for D.C.-based teams.
0: Fair enough. NFL football is more fun to watch on TV than in person. I think we would agree. I agree. I
1: prefer going to the game in person. I I, I prefer that. It's, I love going to Amity Bank Stadium. I, it was different when I was a kid because people actually seemed to care. And I'd like that to get back. But I'm not going to stop caring. I'm not going to stop going because I love it. the energy of mT Bank Stadium when it's rolling.
0: I think when, you know, you had Ray Lewis coming and dancing out of the tunnel, I think that had a, you know, a real impact on people wanting to come to games. And, and that was a real uh, draw. Um, you know, not having that same effect anymore, I think, really hurts the, that product from that aspect.
2: Yeah, I will say this, though. That the Ravens have done such a good PR job this year, you know, lowering concession prices, doing a lot of season up. Uh, upgrade to the stadium and obviously drafting Lamar Jackson and bringing some excitement in. So I think really once they start getting some wins on the field, we could get that feeling back. But in terms of like just the PR standpoint, especially for the concessions, because I know a lot of people are pretty pumped about that, including myself. I mean, they're really kind of catering to the fans, I think more than they
1: have in the last couple of years, which is really good sign. I was yeah. at the Seahawks game in 2003. We came back from 17 points in the fourth quarter and won in overtime. And, to that day, that is my favorite sports memory. Going to a game is, especially a special game, is nothing like it, and it's it's my thing. Um, I also only go to one to three games a year. One, a couple of years I went to five, but you know I don't have the money to go to all the games, so it's a real special deal when I get to.
0: Uh, caps i know it's been a, you know, a little bit of a debate in baltimore whether or not it's you know it's been all right to support them or not and certainly there's a bunch of different viewpoints that's why i like chris bringing his viewpoint and uh, you know both me and joe bringing our viewpoint of us supporting the caps that it
1: makes you feel like such a it really does
0: it's a
2: different with age too i mean really it is because i mean when i got here and moved here i mean my dad grew up in Baltimore, but, I mean, all I've known is the Ravens. I mean, I wasn't here when there wasn't a team, and it's just a lot different. You've been here a lot longer than both Jake and I have, Chris, and I think you've been a little, been through a little different times with, obviously. Well, the
1: I never really had no football team because the Ravens got here when I was six, and I didn't really care until I was nine or ten. Here's the deal. I, I mean, my grandparents were huge Colts fans. My mom was a huge Colts fan. I know my family was always angry at the Redskins' efforts To prevent us from getting the team, it was always like, "Well, why don't we just get a team?" You know, and the fight to get Baltimore a team was too hard. And I was kids, I wasn't really, but the people I care about, you know, were really picked off about it. I mean, they rooted for the Eagles and even the uh, Stallions of the CFL team we had for a while. But my my mom always said she was raised better than to be a Cowboys fan. No way in hell was going to be a Steelers fan. So the Eagles were were their only option. But she still yeah. wanted the team in Baltimore. No, that makes sense. I
2: mean, I remember one of my first games was going to the Colts playoff game in 2006. And, I mean, that rivalry, especially with Peyton Manning, all the hatred towards the Colts is a lot more than it used to be. But, I mean, some people still don't use Mayflower Moving Company because that's what the Colts left in before they went to Indianapolis. So, I mean, a lot of older fans especially still have that kind of, you know, feeling and hatred towards
0: Indianapolis and the Colts. I know. I don't resent the cults. I
1: resent the ursays. You say ursay to me is a four-letter word no matter how it's spelled.
0: You have nothing to to be jealous or angry. Jealous is the right word. He's an alcoholic. Well, the apple didn't fall far from the ursay
1: trick. Let's put it to you that way.
0: How ironic that we're talking about uh, fanhood on the Fan Sided Podcast. All right. (laughs) And with that, we'll wrap things up on episode 35 again through iTunes and Spreaker for the Ebony Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Jay McDonald, again, you can find me on Twitter at mcdonald 95 as well as our two site experts, Chris Just, or at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Shiller NFL. So, with the Ravens, of course, wrapping up mini camp, and they're going to have a, a couple weeks until training camp begins, a little over a month or so, we're going to continue the every other week format for the podcast up until training camp starts and we'll have a preview podcast with that as well uh but up until that point we'll be doing every other week throughout the summer so with that we will talk to you in two weeks so for joe and chris i'm jake mcdonald we will talk to you next time on the ebony Bird podcast